Welcome to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. So, Liz. Yes. Sorry, we, I had to miss last week. I know. Busy, busy. Yes. Um, so, our 80s trivia for the week. Uh, this week, in 1987, the movie Less Than Zero hit the Oh, theater. yeah. That's a good one. I can't find that streaming. Anybody who's listening and knows where that movie's streaming tweeted at me because really? I really, well, I have, I've seen it, but I haven't seen it in a long time. And, you know, we only watch like pre 1990 things in this house now <laughs> So um, when we watch stuff on TV. So I was just thinking, oh, I would love to see that again. And um, I can't find it streaming anywhere. So if anyone knows where it is, I can't even pay for it on Amazon. They don't even have it. So let me know. It was so good. Robert Downey and Andy Andrew McCarthy, not. Not the, the Andrew McCarthy. The Night Runner NRO, <laughs> Andrew McCarthy. The yeah. other Andy McCarthy. So cute. I had such a crush on him. So adorable. He was cute. He was cute. He was good in, in Pretty in Pink. Oh, God. I loved him in Pretty in Pink. Blaine. Blaine? His name Blaine. 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 That's a name. It's a major <laughs> appliance. Such a good movie. They don't make them like that anymore. Robert Downey Jr. was so good in that movie, though. And then the song that came out of it. Um, time, time, time. Uh, oh, the Bengals. Yeah. I. Uh, the Bengals. Hazy Shade of Winter. Hazy Shade of Winter. Winter. Yeah. Yeah. I so love the 80s and all that cocaine, you know. <laughs> <laughs> not that we know anything about that here at Happy nope. Hour. We don't. Nope. Not a thing. <laughs> not a thing. <laughs> okay. So, Julie, let's talk about the news. What's going yeah. on? So, we'll take our first, victory lap first. We're going to take I a victory lap important. here on Happy Hour. We have our first scalp here on Happy Hour, and that are is. Are you sure? Are you sure it's our first? I feel like we've. No, that's true. It's probably not. No, actually, because we have another announcement that's also related to something we talked about on Happy Hour. So we get shit done on Happy Hour. We so do. the big news is that air quote Republican Rep Ken Buck in Colorado, who's an enemy of Happy Hour. Um, because we did a whole show, we did part of a show on him. Um, he's a uh, very mis- misinformed on January 6th. Anyway, he's not running for re-election. So bye-bye. 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 That is a big victory for happy hour. Um, and then we have another victory, which I was kind of happy, although I was wondering like why they chose this person. Of all the people to pick um the house gop has finally used the holman rule which is being able to zero out like a line in the budget that is related to someone's salary so the house gop passed a bill that would remove pete Buttigieg's salary to one dollar so it's one dollar now um so it's an amendment to a bill i don't know if it's i don't know if the senate's going to do i don't know how the senate or maybe they don't need to do it. I've never, I don't, I've never seen the Holman rule ever used. So I don't know how it executes like procedurally. Right. But it's a good start. But I mean, if they really wanted to um, light some shit up, 
you know, how about Chris Ray's salary or something like someone like that and not Pete Buttigieg, who's apparently in the Ukraine this week with Vladimir. Um, Speaking of cocaine, is he snorting some limes, (laughs) doing a few bumps? Is Hunter over there, too? Could you see the three of them, Zelensky, Buttigieg and Hunter? He's doing some bumps. It's like. (laughs) Seriously. Who knows if Hunter could be there? I mean, I don't know. Is he allowed to leave the country because he's under investigation or I don't know. Of course. He just hops on Air Force One like he did on Air Force Two. That's right. Okay. Can we talk about Zelensky for a minute? That guy. Okay. Really? I go. He's worried. He's like begging for loans and then saying he's going to pay us back with our own money. Like how exactly does that work? Well, that's how it works, actually. I mean, <laughs> that's like that's like how the U.S. sells weapons to our enemies so they can use them against us, right? I mean, that's like we do have a history of arming our enemies. So is it that weird that they, he wants a loan to pay us back other money he's borrowed from us? I mean, that's uh, but he looks um, he he looks deranged and. He was like swearing. I think he did meet the press over the weekend with Kirsten Welker, whatever her name is. And he was like swearing and he looks just like he finished a major bender. And didn't he just suspend elections or and fire one of his ministers again? He did. He did. And but you got to remember, this guy is very worried about this Israel Hamas situation because the funding for. I mean, Israel's threatening to get, you know, take his money. Well, not his money, but he sees it like as his money because now there's competing interests, whether it's air quote humanitarian aid for Hamas or money for Israel or whatever. Now there's an issue in Congress about whether we're going to do one big bill of aid for all of for all of our whatever breastfeeding, uh, you know, sycophants around the country, (laughs) around the planet that we're giving money to, or they're going to do them separately. I know the House tried to do Israel separately, but my position is how about nobody get any money? Like, I'm fine with that. You know, just sell sell Israel the weapons that if they want to buy them, let them buy the weapons. They don't need money and they don't need our troops. They don't need anything else. And I'm fine. As long as Zelensky gets nothing, which I feel more invested in, like seeing him get nothing, that's a big, giant grift. Um, All of the money going to the Ukraine is a grift that will be distributed to the appropriately credentialed, uh, you know, foreign policy blob, as we call it. And uh, and then to BlackRock or whoever to rebuild the Ukraine after Russia, what has destroyed it. So. I'm fine if um, the Ukraine gets nothing and, and Israel gets nothing. I mean, I think that's that's a good a good position to have. So, but he is worried because people have definitely turned against giving money to the Ukraine, like in the or Ukraine. In the beginning, there was some sympathy because you know the media was like, "Oh, Russia has invaded," which you know, I mean, we're getting invaded every day here in the U.S. and nobody seems yes. to give a shit about that. But all of a sudden, it does matter when the Ukraine's borders are breached. Um, and now people have just really they're getting billions of dollars. Meanwhile, our economy is horrible here. Uh, people are strapped. 
I see credit card debt is at the highest level in I don't know how long Mm -hmm. and defaults on credit card payments. So, you know, I don't know if people are excited to pay taxes to give it to another country. So that is on the down slide, right? Yeah. The the approval and the enthusiasm and the idiots flying the Ukraine flags outside their houses in liberal neighborhoods. That's waning. Um, And also right now, the Israel thing is kind of a hot thing, but who knows how long it's already starting to turn. Um, our friends in uh, Europe have seen all sorts of marches and we're, we've seen them here. So who knows? We don't know how long that'll last. But I think the right position is to just not give anyone any money. So that's where I am. Well, and can we talk about these protests across the Western world, particularly in the, Was- in the Washington, the nation's capital, over the weekend, you had what hundreds of thousands? I believe three hundred thousand people, mostly federal employees, the children of federal judges, a lot of DOJ <laughs> prosecutors, jurors, sure. J six, um, J six jurors, you know, just yeah, your average the jail at the gulag, easy yes. person, siding um, with the terrorists, but they did a lot of damage in the nation's capital defaced, desecrating national monuments, attempting to scale the fence at the White House, um, harassing. I don't know if there was any physical confrontation with federal police, but certainly there were, I mean, they were screaming outside of the White House at Secret Service. I think they were saying intifada, intifada, Allah Akbar. Yeah, they were screaming Allahu Akbar. Wow. Which is fine, whatever. I mean, I mean, it's a, it's a yeah. joke. I believe that they did breach the White House. Actually, they did get over the fence. Um, I don't think anyone was arrested for the serious, like actual cr- crimes that are serious or will be treated seriously by our whacked court system here. But there were three hundred thousand people, and I think there were people bust in. I mean, this was an operation. This wasn't Airsats grassroots uprising. This was an operation. All these people were bust in. I happened to be in DC on that Saturday night having dinner with some friends and I saw it and I was pretty horrified to be honest that there were that many people and um you know that they're not they're not all locals. But it, but the big story is that there was graffiti, there was um some violence. None of these people, there was a breach of the White House. None of these people are going to be prosecuted. So, you know, again, and this is what obviously is so frustrating to people like us who cover January 6th and then hearing from these January 6th defendants and their family members. I mean, this has been happening on a rolling basis. You had the Hamas erection in the Cannon House office building a few weeks ago, an organized protest. They're not supposed to be in there protesting at all in office buildings. You have Jamal Bowman. Off the hook, now laughing off his slap on the wrist for uh, pulling the the fire alarm, which the video totally contradicted his official story. Um, You've got, and aside from that, constant interruptions to congressional hearings, interruptions to the Senate Foreign Affairs Committee a few weeks ago, today, Wednesday, as we're taping, multiple ongoing, consistent, and clearly organized interruptions of the House Judiciary Committee meeting uh, on uh, hearing on 
harassment, anti-Semitism, yeah, anti-Semitism on college campuses. So where are the obstruction of an official preceding criminal referrals by Republicans to Attorney General Merrick Garland or U.S. Attorney for the District of Columbia, Matthew Graves? Where are they? Because you know nothing's happening. I looked up the arrest docket for the D.C. Metropolitan Police Department to see how many people had been arrested. And they literally, I think there were three arrests, and they said, they, it was First Amendment activity, no major incidents recorded. These were all minor incidents. You are vandalizing federal property on these monuments. It was passionate, and, though. Like that ABC reporter said that it was a passionate protest, the, the graffiti. You saw that on Monday? Yes. Did you see? Yeah. And then she just got dragged. So it's just passionate, Julie. It's not real vandalism. Um, which I guess is, I don't know, uh, <laughs> standing in, in grass that was open to the public 10 minutes before, but suddenly has become some sort of restricted holy ground. I don't know. Um, standing on government federal grass <laughs> 100 yards from a building an hour after Congress evacuated on January 6th, somehow that makes you a terrorist, but none of this activity which, Liz, I think dovetails to our next subject, was Republican losses in the off-year election, Tuesday's election. Um, some of them, well, there was one in Mississippi, Kentucky, Virginia races, an abortion. Ohio. Um, uh, yeah, Ohio. so let's talk about what happened there. Well, so the big the big uh, story, I think that the top, one of the top things to come out of this is Ohio had um, an abortion uh, referendum out there in Ohio, and it passed. Now, um, this is actually an interesting referendum. It's quite extreme. I believe it protects abortion for nine months, like it's the whole shebang. And I think tacked on are a couple of other things that uh, remove parental authority over children. So it's kind of a a, a hot mess. But, you know, the left mobilizes people with abortion. It's, you know, these dumb women, you know, one one issue voter. They don't know necessarily what they're voting on. They just know they're told what this issue is about abortion, because I think that most people who are pro-choice are safe, legal and rare and not nine months. Right. But these are dummies. Right. They don't know what's in the legislation. So this is how they're. This is how they're uh, getting people turned out. They're getting these dumb women, these dumb broads out to turn out, these young dumb broads that are like the TikTok, uh, you know, cohort to go vote. So that did pass in Ohio. So that's that was kind of a big thing. And then in Kentucky, Andy Bashir, who's Democrat governor, uh, he won again. Um, he's in incumbent. It's usually difficult to defeat an incumbent. Um, as a rule, but I guess we didn't even try seriously. So that didn't work. Daniel Cameron, I think, ran um, opposed. And Daniel Daniel Cameron is uh, black. He is an attorney, the attorney general, right? He just general. won, I think, two, was it two years ago? Or it must have yeah. been. And 37 years old, but I, I think he came within striking distance. I think four percentage points separated Bashar and Cameron. Now, of course, Kentucky is a deep red state. 
Um, but Bashar apparently is a pretty popular mainstream, probably old school blue dog Democrat, I guess. Yeah, he's a Southern I Democrat. And he comes from a political, he's a Nepo baby, political Nepo uh-huh. baby. So, you know, incumbents are tough to take out and incumbents and Democrats generally have an advantage in off-year elections. I mean, this is when you have school boards, right? School board elections. This is when you have municipal elections because most people tune out. Democrats are a lot better at getting their people out because a lot of them are government employees, so they're threatened to go vote. And so, I mean, that's, I guess. Yeah, sort turnout of- is terrible in off-year elections. It's it's really bad. And especially, um, I believe that Kentucky had an abortion. I don't know if maybe Kentucky had something abortion in the um, well, that was Bashir's campaign, right? Like he campaigned on expanding abortion access. So again, you've got the dumb, the dumb broads. They're, you know, they're going to vote. They, they just want to make sure they can have abortions. I guess for nine months. Like I said earlier, I really don't think that the average pro-choice American, in when they say they're pro-choice, are pro nine, you know, elective nine-month abortion people or also removing parental consent for underage teenagers to get an abortion or eroding parental rights. So, but again, these are not, these are not the smart people. These are just people that do what they say. And, um, you know, and that helped Bashir win. And then over in Virginia, where I live, um, Glenn, Glenn Youngkin's pretty popular governor here, but, um, that was kind of unfortunate what happened um, we, we, the, um, tried to flip the house of delegates and keep the, the Senate, but we lost both. Of, we both, we lost the house of delegates. So now the legislature what is, the, con- what was the margin there? I'm sorry. How, what was the advantage there? Republicans? It was barely, it was like one or something. It was very tight. Look, Virginia is a blue state. Okay. Virginia is a blue state and, mm-hmm. and Youngkin won. Because, as I say here, probably every time we do a show, the left is always shitting the bed and they went out of control with the bathroom stuff and the the some of the high profile cases here um, about the trans people, you know, these trans students beating up or assaulting the students, not telling the parent, not telling people what happened, putting the the um these perpetrators in other schools, but not telling the schools, this guy's a sexual, you know, this guy's like a sexual predator. Um, So I think, and with a lot of the uh, Black Lives Matter curriculum and the critical race theory, parents really came out to um, put Youngkin in office two years ago. Now, again, we have an opposite animating uh, thing that turned people out, which was again, abortion. You know, these people, wanted to they they were sort of threatened they're scare, scared right that um youngkin and a republican legislature is gonna put something into the constitution that will stop them from getting i don't know an abortion at nine months or the four hours before they're set to deliver whatever that they want so that again gets people out but you know i have a different take i know everyone is um is casting blame and throwing blame at each other and pointing fingers but I know a lot of people who do work on election integrity, like the best people that do a lot of stuff on this issue. The fact is that the Democrats control the election apparatus. 
across the board. And we can say, oh, we need to get more early ballots. Oh, we need to go chase ballots. Oh, we need to do ballot harvesting. Okay, that's all fine and good. But the people who count the votes are more important than that. And we've ceded control of that in almost in in many states and certainly in the swing states over to the left. The left controls the entire election process. County clerk, registrar voters. These are not even just partisan people, but wanting to do a good job. These are activists who intentionally infiltrated these systems to, you know, control it. And until the right, the GOP, which I barely consider myself a part of at this point, um, you know, rests back control of these systems from the Democrats, which have turned it into partisan. I mean, these people are going to start registering kids in high school to vote. All right. This is like a Democrat. Yeah, I think, they, I think they are already. I think you yeah, could register. They want to vote on, in high school. Yeah. They're voting. They put pre, they put voting places to vote in um, college campuses, you know, and and they're trying to get college IDs to be official IDs to use when you vote in in states where it's required, which is a real problem because a lot of people that go to college don't go to college where they're a resident. So you could vote in your college state. And then if you want, you could go home and vote in your state too. So, cause nothing is really connected cause that, that would be too easy. So um, I'm just going to say uh, we can, we can turn out absentee ballots. We can ballot harvest. We can put out signs. We can, whatever, do make memes. But as long as the Democrats control the election process, we're going to be, we're screwed. So I'm going to state, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Well, that's what do you think, Julie? That's really optimistic. No, you're absolutely right. There (laughs) were reports also of voting machines, I think in Pennsylvania, which had a uh, Supreme Court uh, vacancy. I think it was a Democrat and then a Democrat won. Um, I believe so. So, you know, vote flipping there. Um, So a couple of thoughts, and there are a lot of calls on Wednesday now for Rana Romney McDaniel, whatever her name is. Thank you for saying her. Thank you for saying Rana Romney McDaniel. People need to remember, she's a Romney. Do you think she eats salmon sandwiches with ketchup? Like her cousin, uncle, whatever? Or wife, sister, brother, brother, husband, brother, wife. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? I mean, I don't, I don't know. But she needs to be unemployed. That's that's what I think. Um, and also because too, Liz, what they were showing the graphs is Republicans were, of course, massively outspent in Kentucky, outspent in Ohio, outspent in Virginia. They're just where is. The money, obviously, the left has a lot more money than we do, um, especially in these off-year elections. You know, people are investing in their candidate for the GOP presidential primary and other races. But what is she doing, like like the Bobs said in office space? What would you say your job is here? I think I, I, I'm with you. I mean, I, I. I know that there's some money issues, but I think that she has just not even tried with whatever she has. I mean, the fact is that 
the GOP as a whole has never really tried, have, ne- has, have never launched a serious uh, attack against the Democrats' takeover of our election apparatus. They just let it happen, like so many other things. And then everybody wakes up and says, holy shit, how did this happen? Oh, you slept through it, you know, when people were warning. I'll, I'll give you an example. It's a little, I don't want to pivot too much, but people do not get excited about judge, judicial appointments other than the Supreme Court. But all of these judges, the crazy ones that we talk about all the time or that people will get all upset about when some judge rules something stupid, especially when a lot of Trump's executive orders were being challenged like the first year or two when he was in office. All these crazy judges, a lot of these people are appointed. You can't get people to get excited about judicial appointments. And then they wake up and say, how did this clown get in? Well, you didn't care when the clown got in. And so now the clown is clowning. That's what happens. And so. Um, the same thing with the, the RNC. The RNC never fought, is hadn't fought back against putting precincts on college campuses or letting them use college IDs to as voter ID or, you know, si- uh, signature verification, uh, fighting them on the signature verification relaxation where you only need to like 10 percent of your signature to match to have your ballot count. I mean, the. Where have where have the fights been? This didn't this this didn't happen in a year. Right. We didn't get here where the Democrats control the infrastructure in the elections in most of the states. This didn't happen in a year. It's been happening for 30 years. Right. And for 30 years, the GOP has shoved their head up their ass and completely ignored it until we're basically in a terrible position right now. So I do blame Rana. I don't even know if it can be fixed, to be honest with you. It's that it's there that it's that captured. So I don't know. Well, and um, it, it is. And so I guess the question is, if you get rid of Ron, Romney McDaniel and her ketchup salmon sandwich, is there enough time? The answer has to be no. No, but at no. least no. invest in these swing states to the extent that it even matters well, for you know, look, election integrity infrastructure. I, I think one thing to remember about our process is that the left has made, as I said, they've been doing this for over 30 years or longer. So this is a long drawn out process. And for the left, they're really good at suing to get what they want. So for the Republicans to fight back, you're looking at multi-year court cases where these things are challenged and probably escalated to the Supreme Court. So it's certainly not going to be fixed by 2024, but uh, there's no effort being made either to do anything. But there needs to be lawsuits filed in cases where things are regulations that are in place in these states that violate the Constitution, that violate the state's Constitution, that violate the federal Constitution. A lot of it does involve lawsuits. And some organizations have sued things like cleaning up the voter rolls. You know how hard it is to clean the voter rolls up? Because the minute you do it, they say, well, if it's a state that's under the Voting Rights Act, they're like, oh, it's racist. You're getting black people off. And it's like, no, we're getting people that haven't voted in 20 years and are allegedly 140 years old based on their voter registration are probably dead. You know, things that are obvious, like clean out the voter rolls. So even doing something like that takes a lot of a lot of lawsuits to get there. So it is a again, the left invests in the long game and the right is just looking to make these the people on the right are just looking to make money as fast as possible and gain power. 
that's that's the difference. That's the difference. So the big, and I know you stay off of Twitter slash X. Of course I don't. And I was posting, I have <laughs> video clips up today of the interruptions, uh, obstruction of an official proceeding by the Hamas surrectionists, the young Hamas surrectionists at House Judiciary. People want to check that out. I'm still waiting for Judge Cannon's order related to the classified documents um, case. Uh, I was at that hearing last week and we didn't do our podcast, but maybe we could touch on that a little bit. Yeah. Um, but the big kerfuffle, I want to say kerfuffle, but I think it's kerfuffle. What is it? It's kerfuffle. No L. That doesn't make sense. Kerfluffle sounds better, doesn't it? No, it's kerfuffle. Fine. Okay, <laughs> Ker, kerf, kerfuffle is uh, Team Ron DeSantis's campaign and his group of what I find the, some of the most repellent. It's just not attracting people like me, so whatever. Um, they out right out of the box last night were blaming Donald Trump for losing the Kentucky race for losing Virginia, which is crazy. Uh, he never won Virginia. Um, and I guess the abortion issue in Ohio, which really makes no sense, Liz, because you know that Ron DeSantis has one of the most, I mean, I guess you could say it, I, what most people would view most extreme restrictions on abortion. So right out of the box, they were blaming Trump. I mean, I guess if you wanted to blame Trump, he endorsed Daniel Cameron later. But um, so that's that's their that's the fight now is who is to blame. I think we're mostly on the right path of the GOP officials and organizers. Oh, yeah. It's the party. Look, I mean, I, I did polling for years and we always used to test endorsements. Now, I know Trump is kind of a special case. He isn't like your typical politician. No, no, no. He's not your typical yeah. politician. So, right. but usually endorsements have zero. I mean, I don't, I cannot remember a single poll I ever conducted where I was testing endorsements, um, where any endorsement made a huge difference in anyone ever. And usually endorsements are not, do not move people. Now, again, I know that Trump um, is, is a little different. And the Trump sort of constituency is a, is a, is a little different. They're not your typical GOPers, um, but I don't. It, this is a state. The states and the party is the one with the interest to get the candidates into office of that party. So it's the RNC. The RNC raises a shit ton of money. Also, um, the 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 committees for the for the legislature for the House and the Senate. Um, all of these various committees that are raising money for the PACs out there, that is, those are the people that are responsible for this. I don't, I don't know if you could blame Trump. Um, I, I, I don't really, I don't see that. I don't know. Well, how what, can you blame, I guess my question is, how can you blame Trump? He's not president. I mean, he's been out of office now, what, more than two, almost two years. Three years. Three years, yeah. Obviously, he's the de facto leader of the Republican Party. But, you know, maybe the DeSantis people missed the part that Donald Trump has been indicted, <laughs> is facing multiple lawsuits and criminal indictments and has been spending most of his time in a New York Manhattan courtroom defending his business empire, which also his children have been Ivanka uh, Trump testified Wednesday his sons testified a couple of days ago. 
I just, I, I don't understand that strategy. And when you're in a position of trying to attract voters away from a very popular political figure, obviously very polarizing, I, I don't understand that strategy. I just, I, I don't. I think one of the takeaways that we did have from last night is just how animating and energizing the abortion issue is, especially for like low information ladies, broads, as I called them earlier. Come at me if you want for saying that, but they're broads. (laughs) Um, And it's a very animating issue, again, for low information people that don't know what they're voting on. These are people who you just tell them the name of the bill and they think that that's what it's about. And if you pay any attention to politics, you know that bills are named like the Puppy and Kittens Act. And it's not about puppies and kittens at all. It's about, you know, I don't know, murdering your political adversaries. So, again, low information. People are are animated by the abortion issue. And it really seemed like this was this is exactly what happened yesterday that drove a lot of turnout where people were afraid their legislatures like in Virginia were going to go Republican and in which case there was almost certainly going to be some sort of abortion um, bill or um, attempt put in 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 Virginia, Ohio, and again, Bashir campaigning on abortion in Kentucky. Abortion is a huge issue that raises a lot of money as well. I mean, there's a ton of money that goes into these abortion advocacy groups, that's also a problem that the GOP is going against. So I really have to say, I don't think it's fair to blame any politician for this other than the party whose job it is to predict this, to to message back against their their messaging on these extreme abortion bills, which again, like third trimester abortion, who the the hell is for that? Um, You know, a maniac or a serial killer or something. So- That's where that's where the blame needs needs to go. And I think Rana needs Rana Romney McDaniel needs to go. Now, who could take over? I know Harmeet wanted to take over. Um, and right. there was a, a battle royale again uh, a couple years ago for to be head of the RNC was Harmeet ran. And just to give you a sense of what a horrible party that the GOP is, you know, they put rana back in even though she at that point she had a shameful losing record that would have justified getting rid of her and no the it's this is like an old boys club where they put in you know the company man which is a romney to run the run the rnc so who knows maybe harmita will step up again the abortion issue is obviously it was very a very the i think probably second most important issue in the 2022 elections exit polls show that of course it came you know the election came just a few months after the Dobbs ruling overturning Roe versus Wade so that side was very energized and as i think a lot of observers now admit the pro life movement pro like they were not prepared with how they were going to address it right. like okay we right. got our way Roe versus Wade was overturned mission accomplished, move on. Well, that did not happen. And I think that side, the pro-life side caught flat footed. And I think still are. And so they've got to figure out their messaging, their approach for 2024, because it's going to continue to be an issue, whether you like it or not, that is going to favor Democrats and um, sway independents as well. So they are very successful, as they always have been, in the scare 
campaigns, like you just said, you know, it's not just we're going to limit abortion, we're going to take away your contraception, and we're going to put cameras in your bedroom. And, you know, we're going to like, so they're very good. But our side knows that. So I, yeah. I don't. So this is, in fact, I think in the New York Times, this is another thing polling we could talk about the New York Times Siena College poll that was published over the weekend shows Trump with the lead in five out of six swing states. Uh, but it went through very carefully a lot of issues that are important. And the I think there were two issues that Biden was ahead of Trump on. One was abortion and two was preserving democracy, whatever the fuck that means. I don't know. And, but so it, they've got to preserving. Figure out. It's like preserving. Who is there anyone listening to the show that thinks like we're living in like a constitutional republic anymore? <laughs> I don't know. What does that even mean? I know. Like, I don't think so. Yeah, go back. Go on, Julie, because that poll is super important. So go ahead and talk so we can get to talking about that. Yeah, so I believe it was, and as a polling expert, you will know whether this is legitimate, but there were a lot of meltdowns on the Sunday shows because the, yeah. the results were posted Sunday morning. I think it was 3,600 respondents in these six states. That shows Trump again with, and I think kind of a substantial lead in a few of the states, um, in these swing states. Yeah, I think Nevada so, had 11. He, he had an 11 percentage point advantage, um, which was it's quite, that is a serious advantage. Um, and what for, was interesting, if you read the articles that went along with it, is they actually interviewed Biden, former Biden voters, including a few young people. The demographics results for dem the demographic groups in that poll is even more startling because people of minorities are turning against him. Young people are turning against Biden. I think young voters under 30 were split between Trump and Biden. Um, of course, Biden's strong suit is still white, college-educated women. That's not going to go anywhere. Certainly, Trump's not going to peel them off. I don't think any presidential, GOP presidential primary candidate could, with the exception of Nikki Haley, because that name just, when I'm talking to people, keeps popping up. Um, <sighs> but I think she is the only candidate who could peel away Maybe that demographic, but then what do you lose on the other hand? A lot. Yeah. No, so she's you a had young starter. Yeah. We're saying, yeah, we voted for Joe Biden, but I can't get a job. The jobs that I get are low paying, which welcome to the world, young person. Um, but they can't afford groceries. They can't afford gas. They're just they feel very bleak about the international situation, of course. And they recognize, hey, life was pretty good under Trump. So kind of buyer's remorse there. for some, So some of the interviews were interesting. Now, Liz, a lot of people, especially Republican primary camp campaigns, were saying this, you know, these polls are a psyop. They're psyop. They're not real. They want Trump to be the Republican nominee. And so what? They're rigging polls at the New York Times to speak to that. I don't think that. that's true. No. OK, so I'm going to say I don't I don't believe that. OK, I don't I don't believe it's like it's like three. These are the people that were saying like 20, 20 dimensional chess or some, you know, where some weird thing would happen. And they were like, Trump is saying playing 20 dimensional chess. I, I don't think I don't think that's true. I think I think all of the, the standard metrics that we use to look at the 
um, you know, how or predict how a candidate is going to do or an incumbent or how he's how he's thought of. Biden is in a lot of trouble. I mean, it, you just named a bunch of things that are facts, right? You have the economy is terrible. Inflation is terrible. The job market is real problematic. We have wholesale industries just collapsing um, around us. People are getting out of school with a ton of debt and they can't get a job. So I do think that the, that poll is probably accurate. Usually when you have the civic mood question, which is you always kind of start out by asking, you know, do you think the country's on the right track or the wrong track? It's always almost two thirds. And I, I, I can't remember what this one was. It was at least two thirds, if not three quarters of people say the country's on the wrong track. Well, when they say that, who are they blaming? Well, they're going to blame the person in office. So and that is Joe Biden. So also never underestimate the power of imagery in our current like video centric culture. These videos of Biden stuttering, falling down, um, you know, coming off incoherent. This is not awe inspiring at all. So I think that that also has played a role with the younger cohort that you talked about, these under 30 people who, again, are so very video centric because I see this stuff all the time. Sometimes I'll see stuff on Instagram or shorts on YouTube where it's, you know, Biden, he's falling down. Uh, remember when he just like totally fell down um, <laughs> at at the West Point graduate or he's falling down airplane steps or he's talking and he makes no sense or he's there's literally the cameras watching him like wander around, try to find where he's going to go. He looks completely disoriented. These are very powerful images, images. So I do not think that the poll is the psyop, but I will tell you that I believe that there is a very strong concerted effort. David Axelrod came out a couple days ago, I think maybe Tuesday yesterday saying you got to get rid of Biden. And I think that that is why some of these stories are getting a little bit of play in enemy enemy news media outlets because they do want to sound the alarm to get rid of Biden and put in who knows they can't put in Kamala she's as bad as he is but maybe a Gavin Newsom or something or Andy Bashir who seems to be like super popular um so i i i think that's one reason why a poll like that went to print because I, i'll i'll tell you how this works you have the new york times they pay sienna to do the poll they don't have to publish it. And we know the New York Times is more than happy to selectively edit what is published, right? I mean, it's not like they're only committed, they're committed to just the truth and would never hide a poll that was bad for their favorite candidate. So um, they, they didn't have to publish that, but they did. So I do think part of it is this effort to kind of get momentum to get rid of Joe Biden as, a, as the candidate. Um, but I do think the poll, the poll is accurate. I, you know, I think now we'll again we'll well, see more. Liz, the poll's accurate because it reflects what everyone hears on a daily basis, right? It's not like everyone's right. like, God, Joe, Joe Biden, America sure is great with Love him. Love that guy. <laughs> this is right. it, it. It just supports anecdotal everyone's anecdotal personal experiences with talking to people about what's happening in the country and the world, and people are really afraid of, you know, the, these various wars escalation and what could, what does that mean with Iran? What does it mean with uh, Syria? Yeah. What does it mean with China? You know, so, and not to mention an open border and the people who are coming into this country completely unchecked, unmonitored, not monitored. So it's a scary time. And I think young people, especially having been so traumatized and still feeling the effects of the COVID lockdowns, you know, there are still consequences there for that for them. Yeah. And it's just 
you know, it, it, it it's a dreary place for a lot of Americans right now. Yeah, so I think, I, I think also the, I mentioned this with the imagery, but I think that the amount of time that this under 30 crowd spends on the internet, I think kids are spending more and more and more and more time engaged yeah. in with social media. I think that has an effect because people are seeing sort of these influencer class of people where they l- live like so luxuriously. And then these kids are like, oh, it's so it sucks. I mean, I see I see these young kids saying, oh, I just graduated college and I have three roommates and I can't afford to eat. Okay. Yeah, Julie, did that happen to you? Because it happened to me. I mean, the idea that I needed to, when I graduated, I needed to have roommates or I had roommates or, you right. know, I ate food that was on sale and clipped coupons because I was dirt poor. That is basically everybody in their early 20s. But it's this epic level trauma for these kids because they're exposed to so much other uh, allegedly they're contemporaries who are like, oh, my my boyfriend just bought me a Ferrari and you know, I'm on a private plane and they're, you know, eating ramen noodles. Well, you know, so I think that that also <laughs> adds to the sort of depression of these Gen Zers um, that make them unhappy. So it'll be interesting to see what polls come out. I mean, the national polls are useless. Everybody knows that national polls, we don't have a national popular vote, so it doesn't matter who's winning in a national poll. What really does matter are what the polling is in the swing states. So I'm sure there'll be more swing state polling coming out um, to see if the New York Times holds or not, that that those numbers hold. Um, I suspect it will hold because there's just too many things going on, really bad things that have happened on Biden's watch. Um, remember, we didn't even talk about that dismal withdrawal from Afghanistan. That was Joe Biden. You know, I mean, when we talk about the problem that we have with foreign policy, we're just focused on, you know, Israel, Hamas and uh, the Ukraine and Russia. But no, we're not even getting into the details of problems we have with China or that that are out there and people know about or problems with Iran or again, the terrible botched withdrawal from Afghanistan. So there's just a lot on people's plate. And again, the more time people spend on the internet, the more they're exposed to all of these issues, which just becomes so heavy. So my message is get, get the fuck off the internet people. And if you have a kid, take their phone away. Don't, don't live on the internet. Don't, don't live on social media. It's, it's, it's lies. It's not good for your mental health. Um, I know it's tough. Yep, for sure. It's, it's tough. I feel bad for young people. Um, so, you know, maybe, so the Biden dilemma, we'll see what they do. Now we also saw finally, who was it? Was it Axios or Politico or someone finally admitted that Joe Biden has not been telling the truth. Shocker, shocker has not been telling the truth about his, interactions oh, with son, Hunter. Yeah. Was it Politico? I knew it was Politico. So you know what that means. Like that's the. I'm telling you the kill, the burn notice is out on him. The burn <laughs> notice is out on Biden. Burn so I'm ta- right. No, but that that's what it is. They, they would look, we saw what they did to cover for him in 2020. Th- there's no reason to think he's in a better shape. He was in better shape in 2020 than he was in 2023, right? That oh, they would Lord, defend no. him then, but not now. He's He was in equally bad shape. They made every excuse. They're like, no, it's totally normal for a presidential candidate never to go on the campaign trail or to just do Zoom meetings or to speak to a parking lot with like five people that are 20 feet apart in like 
a pod because they didn't want to get COVID, even though they're outside. I thought that's all normal, right? They they carried water for Biden like nobody's business in 2020. It, they could do it again now, but they're not. And it's because the burn notice has come out, especially when Axelrod said on Tuesday that we need to get rid of, you know, that they need to start thinking about replacing him. And then you had... Um, what's his name? Gavin Newsom over in China where he like beat up some kid or something. I don't know if you saw that video made the rounds or he like tackled some little Chinese child. Um, but you know, he's out oh, and about. God, right. Yeah. So, or so, again, like I um, said, but, Andy Bashir. But how did they force him out? He is not going anywhere. And even if he wanted to, Dr. Jill will bolt no. every door of the white house and cover every window with one of her poorly designed dresses it looks like a tablecloth. They're going to start. There is no way Dr. No. Jill is giving yeah. up being. No, they, oh, no, she will. She will because they've got because the the intelligence community has the shit on Biden. All right. It's we don't all have it all. Some of it's kind of slowly leaked out. They'll just say we're going to release it and the Republicans are going to prosecute you. So then it's like they'll make a deal, which is like you sh- you get you step down and don't run and we're not going to pro- you won't be prosecuted for your crimes, for your influence peddling for Hunter or for his brother. Also, James, is it what is James Biden? He's another one up to his ears in That's corruption. Right. So and, his and Joe Biden, who we have a check that he got you know, that's making the rounds of copy of the check that Comer found. So that's what they're going to do. And that's what they do to everybody. They make a deal. They say, listen, you're going to do what we say. And in return, we're not going to put you in jail or we're not going to prosecute you or your family. So that's, that's how, that's how it goes down. Interesting. Okay. Well, we'll we'll see what happens, but there's a debate Wednesday night. Not sure when this is tonight. Holy moly. Are you going to watch it? I'm not going to watch it. Um, am I going to watch it? Well, I think we're supposed to go to dinner. I think we have an earlier dinner tonight, though. So I might. Okay, so it's DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Chris Christie. Why? Um, Why? He might eat someone on stage. And then who else do we have that Doug? What's his name? Who? I don't really find. Is he find, still in there? I think so. No, I know who Tim else? Scott made it. Like, oh, I yeah, think there's Tim only Scott. five people. So I think that I don't, because Mike Pence took his half of a percentage point and then he um he left he the sandbox out. julie with his half a percentage point jesus he told left. him to drop out so he dropped out <laughs> um, uh. so but then trump has a huge rally in southern florida at the same time so should be a fun wednesday night if you have nothing better to do <laughs> I'm literally going to cut my toenails or something. I don't think I'm going to watch that debate. I might, I'll wake up and see, you know, like I'll see if there's um, clips or something crazy happen. I don't expect anything crazy to happen. So I'm not going to watch it. I, I didn't even know until someone mentioned it on, I was on a conference call earlier and they're like, oh, there's a debate tonight. I'm like, oh, all right. You know, that's how engaged I am <laughs> with this process. So We'll see. I don't I don't think anything exciting is going to happen. So I'll just leave it to Twitter. I'll check in Twitter in the morning and see if anybody or X to see if anybody anything exciting happened. But I, I don't expect it. To I don't either. And just before we sign off, just a quick wrap up on what's happening with the Trump trial. So obviously we have the ongoing trial in New York. 
as we talked about with that lunatic judge, Arthur Angoran, who looks like a caricature out of a Tim Burton movie and is going to try to take away all of Trump's business certificates, which I think he already tried to do. And then that was appealed and they gave him back. And then we have um, we're still waiting. I was in Florida last week, Liz, as you know, and didn't have my microphone handy. So no podcast. But I was in Judge Aileen Cannon's courtroom last week to hear um, arguments about delaying the pretrial schedule, that trial schedule to begin May 20th of 2024. I have a piece up on that at my Substack, declassified with Julie Kelly, if anyone wants an update there. It was so um, refreshing to watch Judge Cannon um, confront the Department of Justice instead of just rubber stamping them. You could tell she really has their number. She pushed uh, Jay Bratt, who's the counterintelligence chief now overseeing the classified documents case. By the way, Liz, Jay Bratt is five feet tall. Oh, my gosh. He's a tiny one. He needs some boots with some like lifts in him. Troll he or is something. He is so small, which, of course, you know what that means. Small man complex. Well, she was having none of it. So she temporarily put on hold all the pretrial schedules. And then there's a lot of deadlines in that case because it allegedly de- deals with classified documents. So there's a whole other level of um, restrictions that are involved in viewing these alleged documents. Two things interesting that came out of that hearing. Number one. The defense team discovered a letter uh, written by an official at the Department of Energy as late as late June of 2023, admitting that Trump still had something called Q clearance at the Department of Energy, which Uh I'm told covers uh, your ability or access to nuclear. Yes, nuclear. So apparently then that would mean at least, I think, one or two documents of the 32 documents, national defense information that they said he had and wasn't supposed to. You know, I think that's where level... QAnon comes from, by the way. Just okay. To let you know. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Because that's the I only that. thing that popped in my head was a oh, holy shit. Yeah. You again. I think that's where it, yeah. I think that's where it comes from. So he had some sort of security clearance, which should be interesting in terms of, you know, how that all unfolds with at least one or two documents. Really interesting is that defense also said that they located emails and correspondence between the Department of Justice, then special counsel Jack Smith, the Biden White House, NARA, the National Archives, which is the agency that sent the criminal referral to the FBI to open the investigation into classified documents, um, and the national intelligence community. And apparently it sounds like they were all collaborating over various files and documents as to which ones Jack Smith should include in his indictment and which ones didn't apply. So that also would debunk the White House's claims that this is the DOJ and then Jack Smith there are totally independent, any White House influence. But of course, Liz, you can easily see this happening, whether it's Jack Smith probably Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco, an Obama loyalist working with her quote-unquote sister, Obama used to call her, uh, Director of National Intelligence, Avril Haines, who would be would have been involved in this, and also her uh, operation reviewing these materials and designating them as classified, because sure, why not? We should believe Avril Haines. So it does sound like just another operation, right? Another 
collaboration between these agencies and officials to go after Donald Trump. So that came out at the hearing. Uh, my guess is, and we're still waiting for the order, I'm hoping it's filed today, that she's going to vacate all of the deadlines in the classified documents case, including the trial, because it very clearly could bump up and will bump up. It's already conflicting with the beginning, the March 4th start of the January 6th election criminal indictment against Donald Trump in Washington, D.C. So lots of discussions there in that. As far as the D.C. matter, Judge Chutkin is filing some motions. Um, she set the jury selection schedule for now. Um, and so it looks like that's going to begin in early January, which is crazy. Two months from now, they're going to start producing jury questionnaires. Um, and it sort of looks like that's on target for now. I still don't think it's going to happen, but that's what it looks like. But uh, over the past few weeks, Donald Trump has filed at least three motions to dismiss based on selective prosecution, on constitutionality of the indictment, statutory concerns that, of course, a lot of all four of those charges are super vague. One of them is probably headed to the Supreme Court. Um, and then Jack Smith filed competing motions as to why the case should not be dismissed. There's no chance Judge Chutkin is going to dismiss the case or any of the counts, um, but there's a a lot of activity uh, in that in that matter as it uh, heads to jury selection early early January. See how the left just like throws everything they can at their you know politically to like try and get their way. And notice yeah. how the right their attitude is like, well, you know, it's really hard to defeat an incumbent, so let's not spend any money in that race. Meanwhile, the left is like surround. You know what I mean? They are surrounding. They're doing as much as they can, as much as possible with whatever they can to just disrupt. You know, and this is why we lose. Well, and so. keep in mind, too, you know, there are still six unindicted co-conspirators in Jack Smith's okay. January 6th indictment against Trump. So when are those shoes going to drop? Of course, that's the same people, Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell, John Eastman, Jeffrey Clark. Um, when is he going? Is he going to indict them? Is you know, a couple of them obviously pleaded in the Georgia case. Is he going to indict them after this trial? Just there's still a lot of. I think that maybe he's trying to get him to flip. You know, he's he's got that he's hanging that over so he can go to them and say, look, if you help me, we won't we won't bring charges against you. And if you don't, we will. Because here's the thing. It's not even a question of merit, like whether there's a likelihood these people will be convicted or not. It's the cost of putting on a defense. You know, it's very expensive. So, oh, yes. you know, I don't blame any of these people for pleading out because they don't have a million dollars. You know, you can't just hire like Lionel Hutz from The Simpsons to be your lawyer um, <laughs> in a case like this. Right. You're talking about someone whose retainer is like two hundred fifty thousand dollars and they're billing you a thousand dollars an hour at least. So who can afford that? Nobody. So well, also I think you're that gonna go. You're going to go before a jury picked out of a nearly 100% Democratic city. They're right. not going to change venues. They're going to fight hard to do it. Chutkin will never allow it. So what are your options? That's why right. so many J6ers plead. Well, and that's what and I think that that's why he's got unindicted co-conspirators is that he can. Th these are career making cases, you know, that the people who win these cases, this is how you ascend in, in the government and in the intelligence community. 
right, is getting these convictions or, or, or getting some notches. So that's what I think. I think he's holding out to go to them and see if they'll turn or even if they don't totally turn, because I don't believe there's anything to turn on because I just don't think there is really very much there there, you know, for them to spill the beans on what. I just don't think there was anything to spill the beans about, but they can at least say, oh, we got a plea bargain, you know, and it adds to the number, their number, if you will. Yeah, it would their be body count, big, as the kids say. Yeah, their scalps. Um, like we have exactly. a scalp. They want more scalps, not Ken Buck. We have who? Who's our scalp? I feel like Ken Buck is one of our scalps. Buttigieg too. I mean, I think we're gonna have at least two scalps. No, we do, but Jack Smith is gonna. Oh, have Jack Smith scalps. But yeah, he's we gonna have, have. We've got at least one. We're just bragging. That's all. Right. We're so proud of ourselves. All right. So that's been our hour. Um, Julie, we're probably not gonna be here next week because Julie will be here and I will be with her. So yes, if you sense a, a shift in the force. Because Julie and I. That's are what it is. <laughs> That's oh, and what's happening. Have to give a shout out to um, Liz will be there with me. We'll be in Washington for the DC premiere of Police State, Dinesh D'Souza's terrifying film on where the country is and where it's headed. So Liz will be with me then. I'm hoping we could squeeze in a, a podcast, but it's a pretty jammed up 48 hour schedule that Probably before I. Not. Don't get excited and then be surprised if we can. But I would tell you not to think that's going to happen. So thank you for listening. I want to remind you that we are now available on Spotify, where also Joe Rogan is on. <laughs> so listen to Joe Rogan, then you come listen to Happy Hour with Julian Liz. We're so cool. So, we are awesome. So thanks so much for listening. And we'll be back in, let's say, two weeks. See you then. Thanks for listening to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. We'll see you next week.